0: Hi again, everybody. Welcome into the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. Today I'm at Bankers Life Fieldhouse and in the media room and pleased to be joined by Pacers head athletic trainer. But there's more to your title, so I have to look at that. Senior Director of Medical Operations, Josh Corbeil. Josh, appreciate you uh, willing to record a podcast with me. Yeah, happy to be here, Scott. Let's first get into uh, how you got into this field. Started at Boston University, uh, interned for several years with the Boston Celtics. What appealed to you? about this industry? Well, I grew up uh, playing multiple sports and
1: I could never picture myself involved in anything other than sports for the rest of my life. And I'm 5'8 and slow and have small hands, so I had no chance to actually participate at any higher level, so uh, I got hurt playing football in high school, went to a physical therapist, and it seemed to me like the way to uh, be a part of sports knowing that i couldn't play at an elite level but uh, it was something that interested me and i decided then that i was going to pursue it so i just started asking everyone i could meet what do i have to do to work in sports in medicine at the highest level and i met some good people along the way and got some good advice and uh, so through your
0: circumstance through your current circumstance then you kind of found out that was that was something that kind of appealed to you just opened the door for me
1: as my way to be involved in sports it's like the only thing that ever interested me. So
0: Then you landed an internship with the Celtics. Was it three years? So yeah, was I was there for way. three years uh, because uh, my advisor
1: at Boston University actually knew Ed Lucert, who's been the trainer there forever. He was a trainer for the original Dream Team. Uh, he's a legend in our field, and he was a physical therapist at Boston University. And my advisor knew him from then and just introduced us as, hey, can you talk to this kid that wants to do what you do for a living? And I was lucky enough that he offered to let me work with them while I was working on becoming an athletic trainer and accumulating my hours and all that. Um, And it just sort of worked out for me.
0: One thing I think that's crazy about what you have done is the number of degrees. Basically, you're certified in anything, I think. Certified strength and conditioning, performance enhancement specialist. So not not just athletic training. And as I always joke whenever I see you, hey, PT, physical therapist. But obviously, I know when people think of extra degrees, there's more knowledge and additional pay. Why did you receive those various degrees?
1: Yeah, well, when I started, um, the everyone I met said, if you really want to be successful in sports medicine, you need to be a physical therapist first. And that's a, I have a doctoral degree in physical therapy. And then uh, an athletic trainer is an additional certification license that you sort of need to be in sports. So those are sort of the two basic ones. But in my position, I'm in charge of all medical aspects of the team. So while I don't actively work as a strength and conditioning coach, I need to have a background to understand what my strength and conditioning coaches do so we can speak the same language. So I have a strength and conditioning certification. And then um, the NBA trainers association has had a long time partnership with national academy of sports medicine so through that they've certified all of the trainers in the league in performance enhancement specialist and corrective exercise specialist which is just another way of uh (laughs) kind of well rounding our approach you know looking at prevention over just treatment of symptoms and um uh, so that everyone speaks a similar language across the league so
0: and that's a key subject i want to hit on because what you talk a lot about and work a lot is in prehab doesn't get a lot of attention anywhere else and I I think most of the league is probably getting on that level I would assume at least Um, but it's not just treating guys oh because he got injured last night or he has bruises after a back-to-back series no we want to meet with these guys understand their bodies even more and be there so those things don't happen ideally Mm -hmm. that's a big
1: focus with our players uh, especially the ones that have been here but it's a kind of eye-opening for the guys that have come over from other situations Uh, there's a lot of pains that are taken for granted in basketball that the the idea that everyone has sore knees you know i have tendinitis in my knee and that's just what i play with we don't really subscribe to that theory we don't want our players on the court thinking about a pain or an ache or something it takes a step away from their game it takes focus away so we when we first get them and continually throughout their careers we do a lot of screening tools we examine them daily um our strength coach sean wendell is a he's actually our director of (laughs) sports performance (laughs) new title this year um but he uh he's an athletic trainer as well so he has a medical background so we have a, a daily meeting of our staff where we run down the whole roster we know what each guy's individual needs are not their injuries but what what are their needs as far as getting their body to function the right way to avoid those breakdowns those little injuries because it's important to us that players aren't playing through pain. We'll, we'll have guys play when they get hurt if it's not a, a risky injury, but some of these overuse things that they've just gotten used to, a lot of them can be changed, so we spend a lot of time with that. We actually schedule them daily like they would at a doctor's office.
0: I think what's amazing, <laughs> amazing too, with you, you guys, and whenever a, a new guy comes in, especially guys that had been in injury-prone in the past, and you talk to them, and it's kind of like you said Man, they do things differently here i'm impressed and that's i think obviously a big selling point you guys can push in free agency about how you do things and how it's been successful in the past
1: yeah the the organization has made uh, us part of the sales pitch if you will to free agents our staff uh, carl eaton who's a doctor of physical therapy athletic trainer and sean wendell uh we've been together this will be our 12th year together which most teams don't don't have medical staffs that have been together that long so we know each other really well we complement each other but um they word of mouth you know over the the amount of time we've been here and the players that have gone on to other organizations and agents have heard the the you know what players have said and kind of seen the results and uh we do we we feel that that's a an important thing that we can offer players as a small market team that they
0: can't necessarily get everywhere else. When did the switch change that now you guys are a part of that pitch? Was that something recent in the last several years? Uh, it's been important to Larry and Donnie since we
1: started. That was kind of something that they made. Uh, they made it known to me when I took this job back in 04 that their their vision was to have kind of a top of the line medical staff that they didn't talk about the marketing side of it with players. Mm-hmm, it was more sure. of we we need to offer services that are that exceed what players can get in other places. So that was very clearly articulated to me when I took the job, and it was a goal that we've had over the years uh, with Sean Carl and with Dan Dirick. Um, I think once we sort of started getting settled in and word started to spread around the league, it's been a long time. It was probably seven, eight years ago they
0: started to incorporate that and try to use that to uh, to appeal to free agents. I'd like to get in a little bit on that staff, Carl Eaton. I think associate head athletic trainer now how do you guys divvy up duties um especially i want to say on a game night because you have as many as 15 guys and even training camp you might have as many as 20 Mm -hmm. yeah we we
1: have a daily schedule um and not every player gets treatment every day but there are some guys that do but there's there's anywhere from 10 to 15 guys on the schedule every day and we tend to for consistency of care once we get started with a particular player we tend to follow that player Mm -hmm. daily Uh, there are things that change back and forth for guys that are doing pretty well. We'll kind of move them around based on the schedule. But yeah, we tend to settle in with the same players. Uh, It's not based on a particular strength. It's not like one of us is a shoulder guy or one's a knee guy. Uh, We both do everything. We just, you know, rather than try to catch each other up every day and have a choppy uh, care continuum, we tend to stick with the same players uh, on a daily
0: basis just for
1: familiarity.
0: And then Sean joins in and takes over from how the guys are performing on the court in practice i know he's monitoring things i want to say like their heart rate and really taking advantage of those new opportunities that you guys have
1: yeah that was the reason for the title change is we restructured our staff several years ago now uh, when we brought in andy martin to be our assistant sports performance coach because there is a lot of available technology in sports now and there's a a big market of wearable technology that you guys have all heard about it's been all over the you know mark cuban talks about it all the time and Um, but it's important there's a big role that it plays but you have to have someone to sift through that information that has a medical understanding and understands your players it doesn't make sense to have someone come sit in a room and look at a computer and analyze all of those numbers that doesn't have a real world feel for what it's like for these guys on a daily basis because you can look at numbers and say oh well he looked tired today so we should sit him out but you don't know what's going on with him you don't know what the practice demands were so we decided sean uh, has been kind of ahead of the field in doing this on his own over the years but it's become time wise so cumbersome that we need an additional staff person that's where Andy came in uh, but Sean's really the one who sifts through all that but he's still in charge in the weight room too um, when we have our daily meeting We're all on the same page speaking the same language, so Sean knows what we're working on in the Mm -hmm. training room. And we have a luxury that a lot of teams don't have with their strength coaches that maybe don't have Sean's background that we can say, look, this guy has medical or rehab goals that we as physical therapists, we don't actually have to walk in there and do because Sean has that understanding to execute our plan. A lot of places they have to, I would have to do it all myself while he's out just trying to make big biceps and uh, big legs yeah, right. and all that. Sean walks that uh, continuum between rehab and performance, uh, so we're, we're lucky.
0: How receptive have the players been to new technologies, new trials, and, and testing things to see if they like it, if they're learning from those different things? Yeah, it's a savvier
1: player now than it was 15 years ago. Um, these guys a lot of times bring ideas to us because they hear about it from their agents or from their peers or. <laughs> They Especially read about it on in the, the internet. There's yeah. a ton of it. And uh, so they're real receptive to everything. And we as an organization, we've made a, a concerted effort in the last a lot of years. I don't even know how far <laughs> back we're going to go. But uh, to bring in good guys. We have high character, high quality guys that are serious about their careers and about the team and want to do things right. I mean, we've had, we've had 10 to 14 guys in town playing with each other the entire month of August. That is so far and away above anything else I've experienced in my career. feels like we've been in training camp for the last month. That's because these guys know that they have a chance to be good. They're serious about working together and having their bodies right and getting to know their teammates. And So our team's really receptive to that kind of thing, but that's been a concerted effort on the part of the front office to bring in those type of guys.
0: With that said, how have you seen the, the calendar of an NBA season 12 months out of the year? You guys are in here. You can step away for some time but outside of maybe may and june guys are back in here getting work in getting time on the court have you have you seen that change in the league well our off season quote unquote right, off season exactly. has gotten much shorter
1: exactly. uh, if we're if we're doing things the way we want to be doing them we don't have may and june off you know the idea is that we're playing until mm-hmm. the end of june um it used to be that we we'd finish and we'd go right into summer league and then we'd have most of july and all of august off or light uh but you know starting with this year's team we've been we've been full go for most of august so uh, obviously you get your weekends off in the summer but um, depending on your team and the makeup of your team that there's, there's a lot to do year round uh, getting ready for the draft uh, in may getting ready for free agency and trade season um, in june and july summer league uh, there's stuff to keep us busy year round
0: what do you think is an appropriate off season if you will for your standard player that's playing every night maybe 30 minutes a game do you kind of suggest that take a month off and then get back after it like it seems like so many of the athletes are doing
1: yeah we have a different prescription for that if you will depending on
0: which player we're talking
1: about so we meet with all of them at the end of the year and a guy like paul george would tell paul yeah you need to take a month off Paul's Summer was a little bit different this summer because of the Olympics, so we had to factor that in. We had to give him time to recover, but also enough time to get back up and ready, so he didn't get hurt when that. And in shape, yep. Uh, Guys that didn't play as much, maybe we only have them take two weeks off when it ends. You know, everyone needs a mental break, but some of the guys that are trying to establish themselves maybe haven't gotten as many minutes, have an opportunity in summer league to kind of make uh, some progress. They're going to have a shorter break at the end of the season than other guys, but. Uh, We want them to start ramping it up in August and really playing early September and then giving themselves a lighter week, week and a half before training camp starts. Not off, but tone it down a little bit. Um, But, yeah, that July is kind of their month to rest, and that's about it.
0: And while you guys focus on free agency a little bit and, and all of that, where do you think is the next growth in the field? Is it just continuing technology that you can use to gather more data from your organization, from your players while they're on the court? that's part of it Uh, i think that could be
1: overstated a little bit i think understanding what's being learned and and known about the human body and performance and uh like sleep is sleep is a huge one that you you read any of the current studies as far as what contributes to poor play or to injury and sleep comes out on top in a ton of them Uh, so how do you how do you manage that with the nba season Uh, with getting players to understand the value of it, getting coaches to understand the value of it, setting your schedule to allow that. Uh, I think sleep and nutrition and uh, a lot of the recovery technology is important, but uh, it's easy to lose sight of what got them here in terms of actually improving performance. You know, that stuff can't just be thrown to the wayside. So you need someone, that's why we put Sean in his position, is you need someone to sift through that and prioritize and not get caught up in what's the fad right now. You know, what's the cool thing that everyone's talking about?
0: Sean's so good about that, too. I see him on Twitter. He yes. goes, hey, other strength coaches, just because it's new, just because it's popular in the news, doesn't mean it's effective at all.
1: Well, I've never met a salesman who said, my product is terrible and doesn't do anything we, that is, I say it does. Everyone everyone who pitches you something, theirs is the best thing that's ever been out there. Revolutionary. you got to be savvy enough to, to pick through that and make an educated decision. But it's easy to get caught up in the flood of technology now. Um, And there's value in a lot of that, but it's on us to decide what to listen to and execute and whatnot. But the the thing that is becoming
0: more obvious to all of us is that we
1: have to pay attention to their sleep and their rest time.
0: We talk about free agency, but even in draft night, I believe you guys are in the war room, right? So if Larry or anyone needs to turn and say, hey, what about this guy? What's his medical? Easy, clean, I would assume, something like that. You're right there. Yeah, we spend a lot of time leading up to that, grading them because uh, everybody
1: has some element of risk uh, but we put a a document together beforehand um, that you know essentially grades their risk and quantifies what you know everyone has some degree, degree of risk so it's up to us to make management understand what the guys they're interested in is it a short-term risk is it long-term risk is it something we can uh, hopefully work with them and improve is it something we can't do anything about um, so yeah we're in there but most of our work is done ahead of time we're a lot of times we're just sitting there watching the draft and giving a thumbs up when Larry decides who he wants.
0: We had a guy on Twitter ask, what is your average summer like? Uh, I get weekends off to spend with my kids, which I don't always
1: get during the season. Um, but we're we're usually in here. We have guys working out from about 10 to 2. So, okay. um, And so my day would start, you know, 8.30 or 9 with treatments and usually have some administrative duties later in the day. So, But I'm usually out of here mid-afternoon. Um, you know, administrative stuff like continuing education draft prep free agent prep trade documents all those kind of things depending mm-hmm. on the time of the summer um but we have a, we've had a growing number each year of guys that kind of see the value in staying here for treatment and we know them better than someone that might treat them somewhere else and um trying to work with the coaches get better uh, but it's definitely an easier a more predictable schedule in the summer uh, but it's still we're in it's a full-time job year-round you know carl and i negotiate with each other our our vacation time. Yeah, because you know, one our, of you need, always needs to be here, right? Someone always needs to be yeah. here. So, um, you know, we, we work that out ahead of time where, you know, I'm going to take this week and go away. You need to make sure you're here and vice versa. And we try to pick what we expect to be lighter times. I saved my last vacation for next week. I'm going away the last five days before training camp. So. I can't,
0: can't blame you for that. No, well, it like, light, we lighten it up
1: anyway at that time. So guys can get physicals done and have a little time away. So
0: having been in the league a dozen years now, what is your routine like to balance home and work life throughout an NBA season?
1: Yeah. Um, I got a good wife, you know, she, uh, she understands the field. Yeah. We met once I was already doing this. So she knew what she was walking into. Um, as the kids get older it's harder because they they expect more but they also understand you know what daddy does Mm -hmm. um i can't totally turn off when i get home because things come up guys get hurt guys get sick a trade pops up out of nowhere you know this year we made a trade during my daughter's softball game which i'm coaching
0: Oh goodness!
1: I'm trying to decide. You know, my phone's ringing while I'm out there, and you know, if it rings once and I don't answer, okay. But if the same person calls back five minutes later, I got to go make time to. I know this can't wait. I got to make time for that. So, um, it never totally stops, but uh, you definitely make an effort.
0: Always on call with your role, and that can lead us into our our next conversation. I want to talk to you about August one, two thousand fourteen. Believe you had the kids. Um, when Paul got her, take me through that night and how you had to react and what phone calls you were making yeah we uh, we weren't watching the game.
1: Um, we had family over and it was a Friday night, I think and um, we had family over that night and uh, all of a sudden my phone just started exploding and by the time I turned the TV on, ESPN had stopped showing the replay. They had said, now you know we're not showing this anymore it's horrific yeah. So I didn't actually see it until David West sent me a clip of it on my phone and said, what's wrong with him and what, what's going to happen? And I said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so I couldn't get a hold of the Team USA trainers immediately because they were dealing with Paul. But they called me as soon as things calmed down and kind of filled me in. And obviously management and Frank Vogel was our head coach at the time. They all called me. And uh, my message at the time was "Let's let's cross our fingers and hope that it was just a fracture right in the middle Um, because with that injury we couldn't see exactly what happened but there's a lot of worse things that could have come from that Uh, if he had injured his knee his ankle there's nerves there that could have been career ending Um, and we didn't actually know any of that stuff we knew his knee and his ankle were okay once I talked to the medical staff there but they didn't know the nerve status until after surgery because he he needed to be able to move his toes and move his foot and at that time he wasn't doing it so we were all nervous for quite a while and I told my wife, good night. I grabbed my phone charger. I went to the basement and said I'm going to be up probably all night because they were in Vegas. So Dr. Hupfer, our team doc, and I were on the phone with the, uh, the medical staff with Team USA trying to figure out what, what to do. And they were unbelievable in how they worked with us for that. Uh, and I went out, uh, flew out to Vegas a couple days later when Paul was getting ready to get discharged from the hospital and
0: flew home with him. It was a crazy night when it comes to this franchise because you know the next season's altered at least. After that, you don't really know, and it turned out, as you said, to be kind of the best case scenario where it was only it was a clean break and now that rod's there permanently, which is kind of crazy to believe that for the rest of his life he'll have that rod there. And what we've seen him do since then, I think he's picked up a step, if anything.
1: Well, a lot of times with players that have, excuse me, they have significant injuries, especially people like Paul that are so gifted. That everything, he's just been, he's worked at his craft. He's obviously gotten better as a basketball player. But in terms of being in shape and being stronger and faster than everybody, that he just has that. He's nice. just athletic. Uh, but a lot of times when people get hurt for the first time, that's when they really focus on their body. Because they have nothing else they can do except rehab. So their deficiencies uh, kind of are under a microscope. And they learn what it's like to address those. And a lot of times people come out better off than they went in. You know, unless it's an injury that's going to be degenerative, which his is not. Um, they they add strength in certain areas that they didn't have before. They get to step back and look at the game from a different perspective. So maybe mentally it slows down. They get to spend more time in the gym just focusing on their jumper because they can't run around and dunk. Uh, that All of those things apply to Paul. You know, when Paul first came back here, he... He was David Benner's intern. You know, they joked mm-hmm. about it, but he had a badge and he he spent time learning what everyone else uh, on the team does, so he could be involved in that. Have a greater appreciate grew his yeah. understanding. Yeah, uh, but in terms of physically, um, I do think his body is better than it was then because he had never had to really focus on the specifics of what makes your body healthy and what makes you perform better. His all of his focus as a young player who was gifted was on skill acquisition. You know, how do I get my, my handles better? How do I get my jumper better? All that kind of stuff. He never had to be in the, in the weight room all the time. He was, but not with the same kind of focus he had to be after his injury.
0: What kind of personal struggle did you see him go through day in and day out with that process? Because he, he talked candidly about it of how he said a couple times he thought about giving up. Like, it's so painful, stressful to go through all of that. And I think whether it's that kind of injury or to a lesser degree, I'm sure you face that with other, so many other athletes.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a personal loss with anyone who gets this taken away from them. Um, so psychologists will talk about the stages of grief, and they're real. And we have a team psycho- sports psychologist, uh, Chris Carr, who works with us that you know works with all of our players. Uh, but a big focus with with Paul was trying to explain to him what's coming. You know, like the idea that you've never had this taken away from you. Here's what you can expect physically mentally that you're going to go through there's going to be a realization that you can't do this There's going to be questioning as to am I ever going to get back uh, we felt as a staff and we talked about this early with Paul that it was important for him to if it was safe get on the court that season even if it was for one game and the idea being we wanted him to learn to trust that that leg was healed so that he could approach his offseason as a basketball player and not as a patient yep we ended up uh, getting him in six games, which was, you know, not not great, but better than, you know, nothing. And I think it mattered for him mentally. I think he was able to approach his summer differently. He got hurt. You know, he, he strained his that calf, calf that yeah. last game. But, you know, you know something like that is a risk. that you know, He might pull a hamstring or whatever. Um, but the value of knowing that his leg was there for him uh, outweighed any kind of soft tissue risk like that. So, uh, that was a big focus, too, on there wasn't pressure to get back because if it wasn't safe for him, if he wasn't healed, then there was no way he was coming back. But Paul's young, and he's a, he's a fast healer. And there were times during the season where it was really hard and painful and felt like he wasn't you know, going to get there, which he's talked about. Uh, but uh, we have a good relationship with him, and Paul's a smart, dedicated guy, and he took some time off when he needed to and then pushed through when he needed to it yeah. worked out for the best.
0: Some people criticized that decision. I completely understood it because you want to get back after it. You want to feel it again, and I think you said it best. You want to go into the offseason as a basketball player and not a patient, and he was able to do that despite that that extra injury that he had to deal with for the first month and a half or whatever. Yeah, that's at that time of the year, you obviously
1: never want something like that, but that's not a game changer. Mm-hmm. We'll take that any any day to accomplish the, the goal of uh, getting his mind right going into the summer. That was That was why he was out there
0: during the game you're at the end of the bench you have a clipboard kind of explain your duties what you're jotting down I think you're you're letting them know if you have a foul to give you're always shouting out the shot clock if you hear someone count it down that's you what are you doing during the game I'm just
1: tracking fouls and timeouts um I mean obviously Carl and I are sitting there watching for any kind of injury flag as a guy limping is he favoring something but as far as coaching responsibilities or working with the coaching staff it's you don't need to know much about the X's and O's of basketball to keep track of fouls and timeouts, but the NBA has mandatory timeouts, which a lot of people don't know. Um, that meaning if you don't take a timeout, one is assigned to you in each quarter, and they're at specified intervals, and the coaches don't have time to be paying attention to those details, so I just give the coach a heads up of, hey, it's going to be your timeout here in a minute, So, if you want or it's going to be the other guy's timeout, so if you're thinking about taking one, maybe you wait 30 seconds, and now he has to take it instead of you, just little things like that but
0: we had the schedule come out about a month and a half ago we're about two weeks exactly two weeks from today camp starts what are you looking for with a schedule and evaluating what you do and don't like um, from a professional standpoint
1: yeah we um, uh, time zones crossed is a big one Sean Sean is really in charge of this Sean um, makes recommendations uh, based off of sleep sleep specialist, uh, travel specialist that we consult with, and a lot of the science that he's read and people he's met with uh, to decide what factors we need to think about and recommendations for when we should practice, when we should have shoot around, when we shouldn't, when we should uh, travel after a game versus stay over. Um, what, one change we made this year is not traveling immediately after games as often. We're going to stay over more often to avoid the two and three a.m. arrivals so that guys can hopefully get a more normal night's sleep. Um, It's not the tradition of what the league has done, but as people are learning more about the importance of these things, I think you're going to see that more and more. But that's really Sean's responsibility. He makes his recommendations and then meets with Coach McMillan and they finalize a schedule. Sean and I meet about it beforehand, but he's we're typically already on the same page mm-hmm. with what we're going to do, but um, back to backs are part of the game. The NBA's made a good effort to try to decrease those. Uh, we have less. I remember years ago we had like twenty four one year, and this year I think we have seventeen yeah,
0: for like the third straight year in a row. So
1: uh, you just you kind of learn how to lighten up some of their workouts and give them. You know, you have less practice time around then, and uh, there's a focus organization wide to allow them to the most recovery time that they can um around those kind of scheduling quirks but i think a bigger issue is uh traveling you know west to east and jet lag and or vice versa and how you adjust practice time or rest times or diet according to those uh those travel changes. And
0: you have Lindsey Langford who consults with the team when it comes to nutrition. What type of things is she managing? I know post game we see here at Bankers Life Fieldhouse that she also handling the meals on the plane um and personal diets as well.
1: Yeah, Lindsey as um Lindsey kind of has her hand in everything with these guys, meaning she makes recommendations for supplements, uh, recovery uh food like at post practice food shakes. Vitamins, all of that kind, and pre-practice too. Uh, Most people think of nutrition as tell me what I should eat and what I shouldn't eat. You know, you talk to players and say, hey, we want you to meet with the nutritionist, and a lot of them will respond with, well, I eat fine. You know, I don't eat bad stuff. And it's not really that so much because I think everyone understands what's bad food and what's good food, whether they uh, go along with it or not. It's a different question. But it's more the idea of what types of food do you need to eat at what time. Uh, meaning what what's an appropriate meal before a game versus after a game or in the morning you know when you're on a practice day when you're trying to maximize their energy there's anti-inflammatory effects of some different foods uh, hydration status Lindsay's taken on a much bigger role in terms of meeting with each player individually understanding their needs are they trying to get weight off are they trying to add weight are they trying to do they play a lot of minutes and they need additional calories to keep up their energy? And then her and Sean work together, too. A lot of guys use personal chefs. They'll meet with them to try to set up menus, uh, and food schedules, that kind of thing. But Lindsay's role has grown quite a bit as uh, the value that organizations, not just ours, place on uh, nutrition and education for players.
0: About how many of the guys do you think have personal chefs? And I bring that up because I think, I think it makes sense for every single guy to have a chef. It's a great investment in themselves. Yeah, that number's growing. I couldn't tell you the exact number. Sean would be able to answer that better than
1: I would. Um, But I know that each year it feels like we have more guys not only utilizing it when we offer, but asking when they come in. You know, hey, can you point me to a chef? Do you have someone that works with it? Because players are getting smarter. They they know what they have to do. Uh, Most of them do, you know, and, and more and more over the years and they're they're invested in it that's a good word
0: i look at the best and lebron has his own trainer his own nutritionist all those type of things his own gym and i for these guys they'd make great money but even the minimum contract guys if they have to drop fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars that's an investment i think that would be worth it for the long term of their career a lot of it is on us to educate them of that okay and one way to do
1: it is to Uh, get across the understanding of what this will do for your your long-term earning potential for some people that is the motivation is i want to have a long career you know there's a lot of money in this uh other guys just love to play basketball and that's their motivation is i want to have the most energy every night for games whatever an individual player's hot buttons are we we need to know that and use that to appeal to them to kind of meet their goals And they all have a little bit different goals, so we adjust that. That's why it's not a blanket program. Um, But, yeah, there's more and more taking advantage of it. But it's up to us to uh, kind of be on the same page with them in terms of what is worth it for them.
0: I thought it was pretty cool. During the Olympics, you guys actually sent Andy Martin to the Olympics with Paul George and everything. What went into that decision? And was that a common theme amongst all the different players to have a guy affiliated with their NBA team? Uh, That was actually at Paul's request. Paul called Sean
1: and said, I want to take care of myself while I'm here. Um, And Andy is in his 20s and has no family (laughs) commitments. Uh, Obviously, the idea of going to Brazil for uh, over two weeks um, appeals to everybody, I think, to go be at the Olympics. But for someone in Andy's situation, it made a lot more sense for him to be the person to go. Um, But that uh, that was at Paul's request. And, you know, the team was very supportive of it. There was no hesitation at all. So as soon as he asked, we were, you know, Larry asked, can we make do without him? And, you know, we, we did. Uh, although we had a lot of guys here at that time, so Sean was working overtime, but uh, but it was worth it. I think um, it kept Paul in a good place physically, mentally, um, built their relationship, and it was cool for Andy.
0: You are just talking about guys learning about what they need to do individually. I think there's a, a perfect story of Paul realizing what he needs and then asking for it that'd yeah. make you feel kind of proud yeah paul's
1: grown a lot during his time here in terms of uh his uh his maturity his focus in the game uh he was always a passionate love passionate player love playing when he got here but the the understanding of what actually went into it you it's been fun to watch him grow over the years and gain an understanding of that and take steps.
0: A couple other things I want to get into before letting you go. Uh, first of all, a massage therapist, that's become a role that's everywhere now when it comes at least to the NBA. You have a new one this year, but how do you approach a massage therapist? How can they assist the players on a daily basis? A the massage therapist is actually in our morning staff meeting every day. So
1: when the medical staff meets and we talk about every player and what their needs are and what their goals are massage therapist is in there we view that position as an extension of the medical team Um, not that that person is tasked with making decisions on what should be done Um, i think that creates a set of problems when you have too many people trying to do that Um, but uh, it's important for them to understand what we need worked on uh, and then bring feedback to us on what they see uh, this, you know, this guy had a complaint here that maybe he didn't tell us about. Some guys will just go, "Hey, you know, my neck is stiff," and they don't think it's worth bothering us with. They wanted they just mentioned it to the massage therapist. We need that information because sometimes it could be a part of a bigger issue. So that was one of the important things in selecting who the right person was was someone that was going to be able to understand that information, uh, look for what they need to look for, and then bring it to us so we can make decisions.
0: And then I wanted to get into uh, one of your favorites, Dan Dyrick, and his role with the team. I want to say it's a part-time basis because he's not here physically with the team every day, Um, visits with them certainly every couple weeks. But was that ultimately because of Larry's experience with him that when he kind of took over he said, I want this guy on our staff in some capacity? And then also what exactly is his role? Because he's worked with Jermaine O'Neal, Jeff Foster, C.J. Watson recently. Yeah, Dan predates me. Dan was here for – years
1: before i started as a consultant he's been a physical therapy consultant the whole time and dan uh, when i was hired back in 2004 uh larry said we're not hiring anyone until you meet with dan Dyrick and he tells us you're the right guy so i had to do an interview with dan um after which larry called me and said uh i had another team that i had been talking to at the time he said what do you need to let that other team know no bye because they had offered me the same position and i said "By tomorrow Larry said, okay, we'll hire you. And that was it. That was a whole discussion. It was based on Dan's recommendation. And what they've wanted is Dan is, hands down, the best person in our field I've ever come in contact with, whether it be professors, speakers at conferences, researchers, anywhere. Uh, Dan, uh, Dan is head and shoulders above everybody I've met. So Carl and I and Sean have been fortunate to have a mentor to learn from over the years. Um, that's really his primary role, is to teach us and develop okay. us. Now, in terms of with the players, he he's here physically every two weeks, whether we're home or on the road, he meets us every two weeks. Uh, and he'll spend two or three days with us, and we'll we'll present him with a list of guys we'd like him to examine. And basically what he's doing is looking at them from a different perspective, letting us know, hey, you guys are on the right track, keep doing what you're doing, or maybe you want to think about this, or maybe you want to you know look at it this way. Uh, and even after this will be my 13th year with him. Every time he comes, I he leaves and I literally have a new skill or Technique. piece of knowledge that I didn't have before, which is amazing to me after this long. Um but he he's currently the medical director for the Boston Red Sox and this is his last year. He's retiring from there at the I end of this season. But he is going to continue with us. So his wife is retired. Uh she was a teacher for a long time back in the Boston area, so she's retired. He wants to take a step towards that, but not totally be done. So this is kind of a good uh, way for him to still be involved and play an integral role with the team, but still have you know ten or eleven out of every fourteen days to spend with her and enjoy life and uh, and that. But when he's he plays he goes to the combine for us every year, so he looks at all the players. Um, He every time we have someone that has any kind of imaging study and MRI, whatever Dan is reading that along with. Our team doc. Wow. Okay. Every time. Um, every single time, um, he evaluates every new player when they join our team and gives us recommendations on one: should we sign them? Are they an injury risk? But all more importantly, um, or as importantly, I should say, uh, helping us develop a plan of care. You know, these are things we need to work on to keep this guy healthy. And over the years of working with Dan, we utilize his time less and less as Carl and Sean and I have, have become more competent. Uh, and I think that's sort of the ideal situation is we wouldn't need him as much, but we still need him and we use him. Uh, we're, we're on the phone, not just uh, clinically, but just as a mentor. He's a brilliant guy and he's a really good guy that's been a friend to all of us as well as professional development, clinical development. Uh, I can't say enough.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It sounds like you, you kind of have your own coach within a basketball atmosphere which is pretty neat absolutely and i didn't i didn't realize it was more so from a a teaching standpoint and less so a a second opinion my first several years here
1: dan and i would have two three hour long conversations talking about a particular case where i'm i couldn't get my head around it it wasn't making sense to me and he would spend hours on the phone with me talking let's let's approach it from a different perspective let's try to so that i wasn't just kind of regurgitating his words but trying to understand it myself and that's where carl and i have grown during our time with him dan dan was a professor at uh, mass general hospital institute of health professions where carl and i both did our doctoral degrees he was one of the initial faculty members that set it up there i mean he was a educator he had a when he owned his private practice in boston he owned it for 30 30 plus years and it was uh he had like a nine-month waiting list to see him. Think about that. That's, Think yeah. about that. If you're hurt, you're not waiting nine months to see somebody you can't. <laughs> unless you've been to everyone else and no one can help you. And he, people would fly in nine from other months. countries or from – I mean, he, he – there is no one better at what we do
0: than him. One last thing I want to get you in specifics here is you're talking about a physical and, and observing guys that are brought in. Can you take us through that process of what you have to do to get a guy cleared, if you will, to play here, whether it's in a trade or sure. a rookie? Yeah, the, there
1: are required steps from the NBA. Everyone has to pass the uh, an annual cardiac physical, which is laid out very specifically what the protocol is involved in that by the NBA. Um, and we do that with new players, but then our existing players have to do it annually as well there's an internal medicine physical where there's a series of blood work uh medical history and then orthopedically that's where it's a little more subjective every team it's kind of up to you know if you have a cardiac problem it's pretty cut and dry you know the very few very few guys actually have deal breaker cardiac problems orthopedics gets a little cloudier because it's up to the individual teams what amount of damage or injury is acceptable what do you think you can work with how likely is a guy to suffer a major injury or just have more than that you're not going to predict a trauma but the degenerative nature arthritis tendinopathies things like that that get worse over time so we're doing mris we're doing a physical exam we're doing a number of performance screening uh, tests to look at how players move um, is there structural damage that we can't change Are there biomechanical factors that are going to cause them to break down faster? And if so, can we do something about it? Can we intervene and help them? Uh, So it's a series of of clinical testing as well as imaging, x-rays, MRIs, that sort of thing, based on what the history is, what the injury histories are, and then what we see in our clinical testing. Some guy may have never injured his knee before, but we look at his knee and say, that's not working the way we'd like it to Mm -hmm. work, so then we'll go do an MRI of it and see what the inside looks like.
0: For your average physical, is it a 30-minute process, hour-long process?
1: No, the cardiac exam's uh, up to an hour and a half to two hours now. The internal medicine part's pretty quick, uh, probably 20 minutes.
0: When you think about a trade, it's like, all right, give them a half an hour, and the physical can be done, but it sounds way more thorough than that. Yeah, it could be two or three days. To complete all Mm -hmm. that. Very good. Josh, I appreciate you taking time, and uh, Cecil will be here before we know it. Enjoy the rest of your offseason. Appreciate it, Scott. Really interesting stuff there from Josh, and he's one of the leaders in the field as the recipient of the Joe O'Toole NBA Athletic Trainer of the Year Award in 2011. As I explained earlier, he has all kinds of degrees. He has the respect of the locker room, and it is Josh who heads up the Pacers medical team. I really do appreciate his willingness to take us inside the locker room, discuss his routine, the different individuals who work on the players each day, how they contribute to the acquisition of players, and why a staffer was with Paul George at the Olympics. Well, my shout-out for this week appropriately has to go to the medical staff. It's even more clear now than before how talented they are, and it's also special that the core three, Josh, Carl, and Sean, have been together for a dozen years. Listen to new and archived episodes of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on your favorite podcast player, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Make sure you are subscribed to our channel, and if you have a minute, please leave a comment. Believe it or not, training camp is less than two weeks away. Can't wait. This has been another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'll talk to you again next week.